iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This is the third and final episode from my recent swing through LA, and it's a good one. But before we get started, I wanted to apologize. Apparently, I'm a mumbler. So my wife has been saying this for years now, a charge to which I always strenuously object, of course. But it turns out she may be just a little bit right. So a few of the reviews I've got uh, recently have pointed out that I tend to trail off at the end of sentences, making it harder to hear. So then people have to pump up the volume. And then when the person responds, they got to pump it back down. It's just a total audio disaster. So I will endeavor to be more enunciative. Now, the interview you're about to hear, as well as a couple of the others that are coming up over the next few weeks, I conducted those before I got that feedback. So apologies if you do find that I still veer back into mumble land. But going forward, I will endeavor to mumble no more. And this week's episode, aside from a couple wobbles, I think it's, yeah, it's fine. And one last thing, do take a moment, give a rating and review. It really, really does help. The feedback is great for me. You know, things like this, maybe I won't be mumbling anymore and everybody's happy. But also helps other people find the show. So please do take a moment and do that. Okay, that's it. Now let's get to today's show. Yo, technology, what is it all about? People always say they don't like advertising, whether it's online or offline. People don't like crap advertising. They don't like irritating advertising. But everyone likes an intelligent, well-written ad. Or everyone likes a funny, witty commercial. You know, that, I don't think, will go anywhere. This week on Danny in the Valley, we have Damien Bradfield, who is one of the co-founders of WeTransfer the file sharing service that chances are you have used here and there or potentially all the time, depending on what industry you're in. But you may know very little or nothing about the company. Well, that's why you listen to this show. I sat down with Damien, who is a Brit, like me, obviously. But no, he's like a, you know, a real Brit, who has relocated from Europe to the West Coast to help WeTransfer grow. The company is actually based in Amsterdam, has taken quite a circuitous, really interesting route to get to where the, it has got thus far, which is quite amazing. A billion files are transferred on it every month, which is pretty crazy. And we met at the company's U.S. headquarters in a cool little bungalow in Venice Beach, which you may know, depending on your age, as either the place where Jim Morrison hung out or where Evan Spiegel decided to put Snapchat or perhaps most importantly, where Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson beat Duck and King in the climactic scene of what may be the best basketball movie of all time, White Men Can't Jump. But we digress. 
Damon and I talk about a lot of things, um, including why he ended up in Venice of all places, why they waited seven years to take their first venture capital funding, why fake news and Cambridge Analytica and the rest of the whole Farago are actually a good thing for them, and what they plan to do next. So, hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, here's Damien. Damien Bradfield, I'm so glad we're doing this. Um, again. Thank you, again, again. Yeah, so for the listeners, we've done this before, but through various circumstances, which I won't bore you with. It's our second date. It's our second date, so uh, things are progressing nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we're here at the Venice, not far from Muscle Beach, I realized when I was driving around having lunch before. Is that where you went at lunch? I did not go to Muscle Beach. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> it's, a, it's pretty cool. It is worth checking out. Is it? Yeah. It generally is. Like, Wait, I mean, so it all depends on who's there who's flexing work, their muscles. Who's working out. Oh, but it's not, so it's not the bodybuilding bit that's cool. It's the people that are doing the rings and stuff that are pretty cool. Those sort of monkey bars that you swing. In oh, it's so like gymnastics. Yeah, all stuff. that sort of stuff. That's quite worth going to see. Oh. I, I don't know, maybe bodybuilding is your thing. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> bodybuilding tour of uh, California. Check that out after the podcast. So, we transfer. You guys are like the kind of alternative Dropbox, like the kind of cooler version. Is that fair? I prefer the second description. <laughs> <laughs> the alternative is like with a new wave, mid-year of file transfers. <laughs> so, how, so you guys have been around for... Nine years, yeah. Nine next years. year is our 10th anniversary. Because obviously there is Dropbox and they went public this year and that made a bunch of headlines. I think they're worth like $12 billion now. And they've set out their stall as for businesses, basically. And you guys have taken a bit of a different tack. So our thing was always that basically we wanted to just make it super easy for people to send anything. Hence, there was no sign up. We had a lean data policy and we didn't do any banner ads or anything. We just had these big, beautiful images in the background. And our goal was really just to make life super simple and to be quite frank, sort of set up the business around ourselves. So coming from that industry, it was about if you're a creative and you understand how difficult it is to get in your flow and actually make something, the last thing you want is some sort of distraction pulling you out and taking you somewhere else. And that's generally how the rest of the internet is built up. And, you know, first we've got to create an account, then you've got to set a password, then you forget your bloody password. Then right. you forget, all those steps that basically are distraction. Dropbox has done a phenomenal job in getting to where they've got to. It's, you know, real kudos to them. For a lot of people, it's still relatively complicated and understanding how Dropbox works is complicated. But um, it serves a bit of a different purpose than we do. So ours is really about that transfer of ideas from A to B and Dropbox is once you've got beyond those ideas and you're into a workflow with, with somebody, that there's more of a chance you're, you, know, you might be interested in using Dropbox. And so how many people use you guys? Somewhere like 43, 44 million people every month. And how yep. many files are they? A billion, a billion a month. A billion. That sounds very we have a B. Dr. Evil. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't IPO for 12 billion, but we have a B somewhere in what we're doing. <laughs> so a billion files a month. Yeah. And how do you make money? So we have two business models. One is advertising and the second is subscriptions. So the advertising business has been with us since the very beginning. Most bigger retailers use us. So from perfume companies to Vodafone to Netflix, whatever advertise with us and they'll advertise trailers or software, Adobe, those sort of guys. And then we offer a subscription business, which is basically for anybody that's, you know, using us probably more than two or three times a month. 
they can customize the experience and there's storage, password encryption, uh, password protection, all that sort of stuff. So for $120 a year, you can have what we call a plus account. And that's now an increasingly bigger part of our revenue than advertising. So oh, really? So in 2009 to 2013 or something like that, we were just purely advertising. And then probably up until two years ago, it was 50-50 split. And now it's 60-40 in subscription favor. And the advertising, it's just painting a picture for those who haven't used it. It's like you look good, put in wetransfer.com and there'll be like a big striking image, which is the screen and then the little box where you actually do the business of transferring files. Yeah. So and that image it, is the advertisement and or just art. So people call us the billboards of the web because it's basically just one big image that takes up the entire screen. So you should very much see it as, as a billboard. <clears throat> That's why I think companies like Netflix and Apple buy advertising with us because you can really use it as a creative canvas as you could do a billboard on Sunset So it's Strip. not like some annoying little banner ad. No, we definitely didn't want to have anything <laughs> annoying right. on the on the site. But also it was about it was about visibility. I mean, so no one likes online advertising, right? If you ask people in general, everyone has despises it. Yet we're constantly, you know, trapped in this cycle and people still buy all that advertising and people still click on those ads, otherwise it wouldn't exist. But I think, you know, what's happening is there's a massive shift away from it. Ad blockers are on, you know, the increase and one in two people in the US are using private browsing. You know, those two things combined with VPN services that are growing 37% year on year, it's, it's going to be much, much harder for people to get advertising away. And I think we're in a position where people really do like our advertising. And because work. it's kind of hiding in plain sight. Yeah. I mean, because it doesn't look, oftentimes doesn't look like an actual ad because it is just the whole page. Yeah. And people always say they don't like advertising, whether it's online or offline. People don't like crap advertising, but everyone likes an intelligent, well-written ad. Where everyone likes a funny, witty commercial that I don't think will go anywhere. What people don't like is the stalking and retargeting and the tactics that have been used by the majority of the online ad businesses to try to capture your attention. Given recent events, Mr. Zuckerberg going to Washington, Mr. Zuckerberg goes to Brussels. It's yeah. like a movie. Cambridge Analytica closes down. Exactly. Has that helped the way you guys approach things or helped your business? Have you seen anything or is that just more of a reflection of just the direction of travel and what you're talking about, what you're just talking about with the advertising and how it is delivered? So I don't think that we've seen any major upside yet, but I do think that is a, you know, that was a moment in time that will not be forgotten in the history of online advertising in the way that people treat data and privacy online. I think it's monumental and I think it would be a huge shift for any online business that's predominantly ad-driven. I mean, I'm super excited because I think we had a hard time in 2009 to 2015 telling people why we didn't do these things that were super annoying online and why we just wanted to focus on... You must on... have been tempted. Not really, to be honest. No. I mean, we hired salespeople in the past that were definitely tempted when they weren't hitting their targets and you know we weren't growing the business at 500%. Then there were definitely conversations going, you know, well, if only we could just dive into the data a bit more, or put up a paywall or ask people to create an account before they use the service. If we did those things, we'd be in a very different financial position than we are today. However, morally, ethically, you know, I'm super proud of the place that we're in because I, I think we're one of the few tech companies that can stand up and say, you know, we're for profit. We've done this since 2009 and we're not going to change it. And people love us for that. And we're on the right side of, I won't say the law, but the right side of the problem, I think. It wasn't just Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. So I think 
if you asked me 18 months ago, I was unbelievably depressed having moved to America and witnessed Donald Trump coming into power. Yeah. However, today, I actually think because of his attitude to social media and the way that he used social media to polarize, he fast-tracked this whole Facebook Cambridge Analytica issue at a pace that wasn't going to happen. It wouldn't have happened in a year and a half, I think. And a combination of him utilizing and talking about fake news and using social media for polarization purposes, I think has put us in a place where we've had a huge wake-up call. Then throw Kanye West on top, and then Donald right. Glover. His uh, public meltdown on Twitter. Yeah, and then Donald Glover just sort of killing it in a moment of... You know, With his new uh, music video you're talking his, about. New yeah. Video, yeah. yeah, you know, this is America. And I think we're at a moment in time that I think is super exciting. I'm hoping it's going to move in the direction that we're in, but I can't see what other direction it's going to move in. Well, so I would say I would like to agree with that, but the numbers disagree. Which if you numbers? look at, fa say, Facebook, for mm -hmm. example, yeah. I think last quarter, which is when some of the stuff first started, like the next quarter will be more telling, but they grew 40% in revenue, 50% in profits for a company that is already bigger than almost any other company on the planet. That's extraordinary. No, no, it's unbelievable, right? But I don't. Th so I think it's too early to tell. But I also don't, you know, I don't want the demise of Facebook. So when Elon Musk pulled out of Facebook and basically said, you know, I'm out of here, this is terrible, I'm off. I, you know, fundamentally disagree with Elon's approach to just pulling out of it. I think Facebook is, if you see it in a physical sense, Facebook is the biggest city we've ever created on, yeah. in our history that we all created. So, you know, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I used to be on Facebook. So I helped create this city. That created jobs, that created multiple companies and businesses to set up around Facebook. If you pull the plug and everybody just says, you know, that's it, we're out of it. And the consequences will be huge. And it will be like every other ghost town and that typical American story of, you know, these boom towns that erupt and then it's only yeah. left to rot. So I fundamentally disagree with Elon's approach just pulling out. I think we built it. What we should do is ensure that it changes for us. We pay for it. So we, yeah. should, we should make it work for us. So I don't want Facebook to disappear. I think, you know, what I would like to see happen over time is that their policies and practices change and it gets a bit more in line with, I think, the original intentions. You know, if you take out the frat part of the story, but the intentions of connecting people and allowing people to actually have insight into other people's lives and to engage with people, that's all good. We just got to dial it down a bit. We just all got a bit carried away, I think, with what's possible within it. Yeah. That just needs dialing back a little bit, but that's down to us. Yeah. So you and me, Danny, we can change yeah, well, that. Let's, <laughs> starts here in Venice. <laughs> yeah. So can we go back to 2009? You were living in London or were you living in London in 2008? No, no, I was in Namsam. What's the origin story? How did this all start? So 2009, you have to remember, was BitTorrent, Mega Upload, Rapid Share, all these guys. The industry was basically, you know... The Illegal. <laughs> pretty, pretty well so i mean bit BitTorrent's a bit like bitcoin you know it's one of those things it's got a bit of a bad bit of a bad name yeah it certainly has been used i'm sure as most of them have for the wrong things but there was an awful lot of good intention i think around you know what they were trying to set up but yeah a huge part of it was really about promoting piracy bus nalden myself stefan dave anna there were some original guys in the in the team that all came from studios advertising media design whatever and you were in ad advertising. Yeah. So I used to work for advertising agencies in London and then in Amsterdam and Moscow. Um, what was the ad you were most embarrassed about creating? <laughs> what a shit question. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, the funniest thing, but it's probably also the most embarrassing, but I'm not that 
I'm not that embarrassed of it. It was called the Sex Lottery. Um, okay. It was for the COI, which is the, the government body in the UK trying to educate around you know, public health. So STDs. Sex, sexually transmitted diseases. And it was based on the insight that um, you had a far bigger chance of getting an STD than you did winning the lottery. So we created these scratch cards that were given out in pubs where you could scratch and sniff <laughs> different STDs. Oh <laughs> scratch and sniff. To basically try and get the point across that don't be stupid. Don't play the sex lottery. Wow. If I look back on it, and I actually have a couple of these scratch cards still at home, it was unbelievably tacky. <laughs> But you got, got the, the point done. across. Right. right. So yeah, semi-embarrassed, semi-proud. One of those. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're working in the advertising agency, agency world, and then you decide just, okay, I'm done with that. It was one of those moments where I think I missed out, I think, in advertising on the glory days of it really being about craft. You know, we know a lot of guys in the advertising world, Ridley Scott based here, sitting down and talking to Ridley, you... You do go back in time and you understand the craft that went back. Is that in. where he started in advertising? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then, you know, you understand the craft, I think, in advertising that really was copywriting was a real skill, you know, and people like David Abbott were geniuses in distillation of taking something quite complex and distilling it down to the lowest common denominator and, and then putting it on a billboard for people to go, oh, yeah, shit, wow, I get that. That's, that's yeah. smart. I'm going to do something about it. You know, I'm going to go and buy that. And those sort of days when I joined advertising were just basically on their way out as people were, you know, getting more into technology and the internet, you know, was probably five years old. And it was all becoming about immediacy and everything was basically changing away from the message to the media. So everything that we were doing, no matter how creative it was, no matter how intelligent it was, every client conversation we had was around media. How can we get on Facebook? What can we do around Facebook? And at that moment, you didn't need to have great messaging. You basically just needed to say exactly what your company was. So if it was you know, LaCroix sparkling water, yeah. you just put that on Facebook. The targeting had to work and you would sell a whole load of product. Super simple. From a creative point of view, there was zero creativity in it. I don't want to be having these conversations where I'm basically just teeing up meetings with media companies. I think if we're going to do this, we should probably do something in media. And then if we're going to do it, we should make sure that we're not doing what everyone else is doing where there's no creativity. And... Bus and Alden were just starting up with WeTransfer. I started this innovation studio with Nalden in Amsterdam. So you just moved to Amsterdam? I was in Amsterdam in 2005 already. Oh, okay. And our goal was basically to try to push out different products, innovate as much as we could and find some space that would work. Everybody was doing other stuff on the side because we were bootstrapped. We didn't. So we were all doing it part-time. To be quite frank, you know, everything else that we did other than we transfer basically didn't go anywhere right it was, nothing was working getting, getting the traction that we transfer had because it was just so and was it always the, and was it always the same idea in other words what we're looking at now obviously the capabilities are probably unrecognizable but the basic product that idea is the yeah. same yeah i mean to be honest it's nothing has changed i always say that it's like um volkswagen beetle it's sort of a classic that just runs it does exactly what it says in the tin it functions, it's got really good form. Over time, we've just basically rounded the edges, giving it a few better I lines. I imagine what the, the size of the file you have to be able to transfer is hugely different, though. Uh, so when I say nothing has changed, nothing has changed on the front end. Yeah. On the back end, I mean, it's been completely rebuilt four or five times. Our biggest issue is scale. So, I mean, you know, Monday to Friday, if 
I don't know, there's 250 million files going through and everybody is expecting them to be delivered immediately. It's a huge mission to get the back end just sort of seamlessly working that no one has to worry about it. Right. So yeah, that bit's changed enormously. And we now have an iOS app that's slightly different. It's really about the beginning of the chain in the creative process. So if you're collecting images, Spotify playlists, video, whatever, you create a mood board and then just send it to somebody who can either download or just view what it is that you're doing. And then that sort of starts the chain of the creative process or the right. ideation process. So that's doing really well. That's got, I think, two and a half million users on the iOS app. We're launching Android later on um, in the summer. We have a platform called WePresent, which is our long-form storytelling platform. So basically we do a lot with creators, but we didn't really have a home for their stories. and They were sharing work through us. So WePresent is a long-form let's say news site around creativity but that also has two million readers every month now so it's become a you know it's become a real player in the publishing world it's wow and it's challenging us to look at it slightly differently too because we'd seen it as an extension if what we had on we transfer was these beautiful background images some of them were advertising and some of them were artists work yeah because you give x as a 30 percent to yeah. art just you give that away as like basically artist space yeah so it's something like seven billion impressions every year we give away to support musicians photographers illustrators startups whatever and if you see that background image that's a big ad and you click on it you would generally land on we present where we give you more background information on danny in the valley and what he's doing <laughs> tell your story have some beautiful pictures of you up there right it was really a space to tell a bit of a deeper story that we couldn't really tell on the main site but now it's become you know a really big platform in theory we're bigger than you know vice not the whole network, but as a, as a destination, Vice.com, right. you know. And we have readership of somewhere between three to four minutes on an article. You know, that's pretty astounding, really. I mean, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? It's really good. We've got people reading for at least three minutes on WeTransfer. But. Look, I know. Well, it's funny because writing, you learn early on that it's all about the lead. The percentage of people who actually read past the second paragraph is depressingly low. So you can put your blood, sweat, and tears into a really, like, beautiful long-form article and, you know... Most people will ignore it. <laughs> That's a tragedy, right? It is tragic. Uh, but so it's also an opportunity. So I think, the, again, the exciting thing for us is we hadn't really ever set it up as a platform. It's becoming like that. So we started actually working on partnerships with brands to do more branded collaboration space and seeing if we can you know, make it sort of pay for itself, really. But also to your point, right, I think this is where I think I see an opportunity in, in again, forcing the, the quality story is if you look at a company like Gimlet Media who mm -hmm. have dominated the podcast space, they're now at a point where, you know, the Habitat on Gimlet is an amazingly well-produced podcast. The sound engineering on it's amazing. It's like you're, you're really there. So the production values have suddenly gone way up there in terms of, you know, podcasts. If I can get a reading experience where I'm able to toggle between audio and visual and maybe even choose the narrator... I mean, you know, how cool would that be that you could go, you know, yeah. actually, I'm going to I'm going to leave my desk now and I'm going to go to the car and I could take the story with me and carry that story on so that you would get beyond the three minutes and it could still be ad funded. But I do think, you know, in the future, if you play out this idea that data is going to become harder to access for advertisers, the advertising markets become commoditized, there isn't going to be much in it. We're going to move towards subscriptions or something else. I think that sort of play where we're going to yeah. move between podcasts, audio, visual is where I think the difference will be made up and where people will be going, oh, actually, shit, I'm, going to, I'm prepared to pay way more than the $10 or whatever it was I was previously paying for. 
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And you guys are an odd duck for another reason in that you guys actually make money. Yeah, isn't that odd as well? People read <laughs> and we make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, but in terms of like going back to the Dropbox example, they're obviously, you know, business, 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 and you kind of more, it seemed like for years you've been plowing this furrow in the kind of creative artistic world and really cultivating that world. And now talking about things around data, Facebook, social media, et cetera, and people kind of pushing back on that, regurgitating on that a bit. Your decision to not do the kind of, we're going to mine the data of our users and really push the ad machine that way. That world seems to be kind of coming back to you, whereas for a while, I would imagine that you were on over here on the side while the rest of the internet was doing business in a different way. Yeah, no, and I think it's totally fair and it's all about short-term, long-term. When you're taking a long-term horizon on something, then you don't mind doing the hard graft and you can actually try and play something out that's going to be game-changing. You know, and in tech, the only time that people are prepared to do that is when they're funding something that's going to go to Mars. You know, so when we're talking about lunar missions or Hyperloop or anything yeah. like that, then we're prepared to take a long-term view because it's sort of crazy and we know that it can't be achieved or we're going to get any return in the next three to five years. Anything other than that, we're looking at a three to five-year return. And when you're talking about, you know, transforming the ad market, or the future of the paid internet. There's nothing short-term about it. We were lucky and pained in 2009, 2015, where we were bootstrapped. We made all the decisions ourselves. So, so we, I was going to say, you didn't raise any money. No. For those six years. Yeah. I presume you could have. Yeah, yeah. But we, I mean, so it was... Why? So why didn't you? Combination of factors, right? Being in Holland, it's a very, it's a very safe space. So you will not find, you know, many, you may find a few, but you will not find many investors that are prepared to take massive risk. So you could raise, you know, a small seed round and perhaps get $200,000. Um, but, you know, to be quite honest, we could do that ourselves from doing a couple of projects with Nike and we wouldn't have to give away any equity. So we just viewed it. We would carry on doing a few consultancy projects and, you know, we redesigned Christie's.com and stuff like that on the side to help pay the bills right. to, to fund what we were doing without giving away any equity. It was a no-brainer. At the time, we were a bit frustrated because all of our friends were raising big rounds and they were getting the headlines, you know, and tech crunch and stuff. And we were like, Wah. 
how come we can't get anything? You think yeah. it's because we're just designers and we can't do this sort of thing. But actually, with hindsight, it was the greatest thing ever because it left us alone to actually make decisions and stick to what we really believed in. It left us to create this path that, to be honest, had we taken investment really early on, we would not be where we are today. Not that I'm saying this is what happened to you send it, but you send it was the market leader. Where is it now? Is it just dead? So somebody advised them to change their name to Hightail. I don't know if they knew much about SEO, but not the smartest decision yeah. ever, I think. You know, not great. And I think it's because, you know, they took a ton of funding. You get a lot of people pulling you in different directions. Everybody's going to tell you, you know, if you're in, if you're in that business, you know, that someone's going to kill you. Gmail's going to kill you. Google's going to kill you. Everyone's out there to kill you. But actually, if you understand the market and you understand that you know, maybe you're not building a product that is for the entire population, it's not Facebook, but it's a product that's really built for people that are aesthetically driven. And if you look at that audience being the same audience as an audience that would buy an iPhone, yeah. it's a big enough audience to make enough money that you can right. all do pretty well and get a good return on your investment. Right. So you did raise some money when it was a two, 2015. 2015. You yeah. raised how much? 25 million. I mean, obviously, you guys had kind of set the company up and it was on its path and it was profitable. Why raise money then? Because we'd got to a place, I think, where the team had maybe plateaued and what we needed was an injection of new skill sets, different network, different contacts, different ambition, perhaps. And they uh, needed money to send you to Venice <laughs> for, your for your relocation package. We've just been talking about that. LA is expensive, right? Not as expensive as San Francisco, but yeah. Everyone here's got a Rolls Royce. You know what they cost. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, but it was, you know, we, we needed some help. I think we found a really good team. These guys, uh, Highland in Switzerland, you know, really, they've been a good asset. They don't get in our way. I don't think we annoy them too much. And we've built up a very steady business, you know, but they came in at a point where we were already profitable. We'd done a lot of the heavy lifting. We'd made the business profitable. There was a pretty clear business model on how we were making money. And really, the opportunity was just dialing things up. When we moved out here in 2016, the goal was really just to dial things up. You know, everything that we've been talking about in terms of that we don't have a sign up and that was sort of visionary and that we, we wanted to have offline values online, that we had a lean data policy, that we give away 30% of our inventory to support the arts, that we started a university called the University of the Underground, that we back to radio station called Worldwide FM with Giles Peterson. All these things that no one knows about was the reason that we were like, okay, we need to get a bigger team. We need to get a bit more visibility for all the hard work that we've been doing with these, over those years. You know, not that we want to shout about it, but it'd be good to get some credit for it and make sure that people know that we were there, that we were doing those things and we've contributed. Why come out here? You were in Amsterdam for what, 10? 10 years. 10, yeah. 10, 10, 11 years, yeah. No, in Amsterdam... You get a thing called the 30% ruling for 10 years, which is the top, top tax bracket, 30% for 10 years. And then what happens? Then you go back to normal. Then you're like, then you start bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't the real reason. It was, you know, America is our fastest growing, most profitable market. Amsterdam is an amazing place to start a business where we built up a brilliant team who I think do the, all the engineering all the development work, all the design work and everything is done in Amsterdam. But even though we're a tech company, I still think a huge chunk of what we do is very personal and it's about relationships. You know, the fact that we, you know, that Giles Peterson is a creative director on the team and helps us with music relationships is because it's a personal relationship based on, 
you know, quite a long term thinking and, and working. And you don't get that without being on the ground. The music relationships we have, the relationships we have with museums and artists and stuff, they're very real. And they're not in Amsterdam. Those people, you know, physically based over here. Yeah, well, in terms of creative big, industries. A big it's... chunk of them. And we could have chosen between New York, LA and San Francisco. New York, you know, we're a media business, so we could have been there, would have made total sense. San Francisco as a tech company would have made sense. But LA just felt like it was so much more relevant for us. To start off, we had Troy Carter, who's on our board, who's based here. Troy is the, used to be Will Smith's music producer. Is that right? Something like that? He no, started out in a, Philly. I know he also managed Lady Gaga, but... Yeah. No, so Will is sort of like the original Fresh Prince. Yeah. Um, that he grew up with Will Smith. They were in Philadelphia together. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he produced Will's music, but they're still very good friends. Right. But yeah, he managed Lady Gaga and then set up Adam Factory. Um, it's a serial investor, entrepreneur, and now took Spotify to IPO. So yeah, he's on the board and, you know, a very active member. And he's here. So it just made a lot of sense to be here. Well, I have absolutely no regrets whatsoever. I think it's the best yeah. move ever. And Venice, to be quite honest, because I'm, I'm British and you never get to see any sun and beach. So where uh, do you want to be? You want to go and be in the valley? I, yeah. I know I keep telling you to be Danny yeah, in the valley here, but <laughs> you shouldn't so, do it. You should be near the beach. I uh, know, I should be. But I've, um, I've been to the British listeners are going to be pissed off about this, but I've been to the seaside many times in the UK, and more often than not, it's been a kind of a sad experience. Well, where did you go? Well, so I used to cover um, energy, so I wrote about a lot about wind farms. Oh, okay. So it was also, you know, kind of up the coast. Uh, like Norfolk. Yeah, Norfolk, near like Skegness and Brighton. <laughs> Did also. you make it down southwest, Somerset, Devon? I never made it to Okay, but that's beautiful. That's I know. I always went to the, let's just say the less uh, glamorous beaches. Yeah, this is nicer though. Yeah, no, no. It's good there's, no there's no muscle beaches in Skegness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there might be. I don't know. <laughs> um, what was your worst day of work? God, another shit question. <laughs> Whatever, or just that we transfer? Ever. Ever, okay. The worst one I can remember is we had a few people that were interested in investing in the business. Mm -hmm. I always had this mantra, which was, we don't celebrate until the money's in the bank. I spent a lot of time in Moscow. You know, that's how it works. (laughs) Um, We thought we had a deal with an investor. So the night before, we were all sort of upbeat that we thought we'd, you know, we closed the round and that we were all good. Um, that I sat in the car outside the office on the phone to the airline, upgrading my family's flights to Thailand. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to fly yeah. everybody business for once, and we're going to do that. And then I got in, I got in the office, and uh, everybody looked like someone had died. And they're like, no, they, um, they pulled out. And I was like, what are you talking about? I can't. What do you mean? I've just booked business class to Thailand. And they said, yeah, the deal's fallen through. We're not going to do it. And honestly, I was, it wasn't that I was so much annoyed that the deal had fallen through. It was that I'd sort of gone against like a principle that I would yeah. said. Yeah. And, I was, you know, and I'd said to everybody again, for Christ's sake, don't spend it until it's in the bank. Um, and then you did. And then I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before I forget, so you were in advertising in London? Amsterdam and then Moscow. And, then and in Moscow. Moscow, so in Amsterdam, we had a big client, which was like Vodafone, MTS Telecom, Russia's okay. biggest telecom company. And um, 
It was so big that the agency we had in Amsterdam basically needed to have an office in Moscow. So we set up an agency over there and then we're commuting in between the two. And not what I would recommend to anybody when you have two young children under four years old. Yeah, I don't imagine you're very popular. No. If your question had been, which would have been a brilliant question, what's, <laughs> <laughs> what's one of the, sort of the worst moments in your yeah. life? <laughs> that would have been it. Right. That would have been that moment. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And so just in terms of you guys have been going now for almost, well, nine years. Yeah. What's the ambition? What's the plan? And how do you get there? So right now, short term, it's all about dialing up, you know, what we've been doing that we haven't been very good at talking about. You know, we're really on a mission to make sure that we're, we're seen as one of those trusted companies and with the goal of being one of the most trusted companies in technology and not underestimating how difficult it is to be tech only and to have that sort of level of trust. If you're Apple or if you're Patagonia, you're as much of a tech company, to be honest, as we are. But you have hardware and you have retail yeah. to really get affinity and trust. And through tactile products, you can engage much better than we can. So it's, it's really tough to do when you're tech only. But that's what we would like to try and achieve is to try and be in that space of being one of the most trusted companies in, in pure tech. What we were really good at in 2009 was really just taking a product that everybody used all the time or a, a service that everyone used all the time and simplifying it and making it super easy to use and accessible for everybody. If you're in, in with the creative world and musicians and artists and actors and all that stuff, I imagine that's potentially quite a powerful platform to get yeah. certain messages across. As a company, we for the March for Our Lives, we, we pulled all advertising off the site and we ran three campaigns around gun reform. And one of them was a film that was shot by a friend of mine featuring war veterans and talking about how they thought it was ridiculous that an assault rifle would be allowed on the streets. Emma Gonzalez, you know, tweeted it, took it to Washington. It was shown at the March of Our Lives in Washington. You know, what it did for our business, I have no idea, but what it did internally in terms of the team feeling united behind something and feeling like they can make a difference with the product that we have is really cool. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of people will go, we transfer is just a file sharing business. I get it, because for most people, that's what it is. But if you scratch the surface, there's so many more layers to it. And that's where I think if we can educate people, if we can get more involved in those sort of projects, we can really make a difference. Well, I imagine also that helps with employee retention. Because yep. obviously, the Silicon Valley giants have limitless money to get talented people, for example. And obviously, this town has lots of big, interesting companies. Yes. So I imagine that something like that is a competitive advantage as well. It's a combination of things, right? So I think, you know, there's an, Silicon Valley and it's always been competing on, you know, huge perks. We don't have a barista. I don't have a dry, dry cleaning service. I was really disappointed when I came in. <laughs> I was like, I had to like get my own drink out of the fridge. It it's was terrible. It, I mean, it is, it is La Croix. It is. Croix, it is. You, however you pronounce yeah. it here. Um, but yeah, no, we don't have baristas or dry cleaners or, you know, Mission Star chefs or anything else. Again, what I think we have is just like decent human values and transparency. There is a crazy thing in Silicon Valley with this sort of unlimited holiday day thing. You know, this perk for employees where you can get unlimited time off. But no one ever takes it. No, exactly. So we have 25 days and, you know, I want people to take 25 days off per year. It's very clear. You know exactly, you know, where you stand. And I think for a young employee coming in, it doesn't sound very sexy. You're going to be far more attracted by the story of, you know, doing a series A, B, C, getting your yeah. options, buying a Lamborghini, you know, whatever else. But I think for an employee who's been around a bit or is perhaps a little bit more critical in their thinking, those sort of basic things do make a huge difference. I think we've covered it. We should go get a beer. 
Okay. <laughs> you still got the energy. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. No, thank you. <laughs> Cheers. And that is all the time we have. I want to say thank you to Damien, who, as you heard at the beginning, this is actually the second time we taped this interview. Uh, the first one, for various technical reasons, didn't quite work. So he was very accommodating. So thank you. Thank you to Damien. Thank you for listening. And I will leave you until the next week. And in the meantime, as you always can, find me in the newspaper, the Sunday Times, that we've actually written a profile of Damien, which will go up around the same time as this pod. Well, actually, the pod goes up first, then the profile a couple days later. So if you want to read that, that's in the newspaper online. It's thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter, at Danny Fortson. You can email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. So, until next week, have a good one. Bye-bye. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.